but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. You can be zealous for the wrong reasons, for the wrong cause. Now the image that came to mind as I was preparing this message this week is that of a triangle. There are three dimensions to this passage that are all connected, each part crucial to an understanding of the story. The story of the church's greatest persecutor who became the church's greatest preacher. Now something happened between those two poles. He had an encounter with Jesus that was radical and life-changing. This encounter saved him from the pricks and radically transformed his life. Now, when we first met Saul about two weeks ago, he was giving his consent to Stephen's stoning death. Not long after that, he began to persecute the church. He went from house to house, arresting any believer that he could find and hauling them off to prison. Now, in this passage, we see him breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, you have to be a very angry man to be breathing threats and murder against anybody. And so snorting through one's nostrils is the Old Testament way of talking about how angry a person is. Luke uses this expression to capture the hostility that Saul had against any that believed in Jesus, any who was a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, what is ticking this man off so much that he is snorting threats and murder against followers of Jesus Christ? And why is he seeking authorization from the high priest to haul them off to prison? 
Now, the answer is very simple. All of this is happening because of what Luke's, Luke calls the way. The way. He tells us, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What then is the way? The way to the Father. Jesus himself identified himself as just that when, you remember, Philip asked him, how can we know the way? And Jesus had responded to him then by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there is a way to the Father, and Jesus is it. Secondly, the way was a total way of life that is different and difficult. Again, Jesus himself warning that very few would find this way and very few would persevere in it. So it's one thing to find it, it's another thing to persevere in it. And Jesus had talked about how difficult that would be in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Thirdly, the way was a title for the practice of following Jesus. Those who belonged to the way were unapologetic about their confession of faith in Jesus, who was crucified and who had risen from the dead. Now, this flew in the face of their allegiance to Judaism, because, you see, the Jews believed that there was only one God, the Father, and so for Jesus to claim that he was the way to the Father was an affront to anyone who was a Jew. To confess that Jesus was Lord was a foreign concept to the pagans as well, because you see, they claimed that Caesar was Lord. And so when Saul heard Jesus talking about the fact, well, when he heard his disciples confessing faith in Jesus as Lord, he became ticked off and angry so much so that he breathed threats and murder against them. Now, where is Saul's anger coming from? It is coming from his zeal for the Jewish religion. Now, we can learn a lot from Saul about how we as Christians should live out our faith. When it comes to your faith in Jesus, be all in. We use the term hook, line, and sinker. Be all in. Not halfway in, not part way in, but all the way in. Listen to how Saul describes his commitment to Judaism. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Saul was all in. He was committed, although his zeal was for the wrong cause. He was fully committed not to the way, but to another way, religion that was based on works, his works. 
what he could produce, how he could get to God, rather than on the work of Jesus Christ who made the way to God possible. So he was zealous, but his zeal was for the wrong thing. And in his zeal, or his zeal, I'm sorry, caused him to persecute anyone who followed the way. Your zeal is what drives you. And your zeal can be for the wrong thing. Now, it was only later that Saul came to the realization that all of his zeal amounted to nothing but, we say, cow manure. How many of you are cow farmers in this? You're, you're, you're mostly corn farmers, right? Not cow farmers. But if you were cow farmers, you would know how that thing smells, right? Manure. Dung, Paul says. All of that, all of his zeal amounted to nothing more than that. But something happened to Saul, which brings us to the second side of the triangle, which tells us it is hard to kick against the pricks. Let's look at verse 3, verses 3 to 5. Now, as he, Saul, was on his way, he's heading to Damascus, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Saul's zeal made him ride on horseback for 140 miles from Tarsus to Damascus. 140 miles on horseback. So he's nearing his destination, and suddenly, a light that was too bright for him to look at with his naked eye, a light shone around him, and he was struck from his horse, fell to the ground, and from the ground, he heard a voice that he had never heard before in his life. This voice, verse, this voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Saul thought that his threats and his murders were against the followers of the way. He did not realize that he had actually picked a fight with the way, Jesus himself. I find it interesting that absent from the ESV, which I was reading from, and absent from the NIV, but present in the KJV is this sentence that this voice spoke to Saul, quote, Saul, it is hard to kick against the pricks. You're not going to find that in the text from which we read this morning or in the NIV, but if you read the King James Version, it is in there. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. What does that mean anyway? I think it points to both the difficulty and the folly of kicking against pricks with your bare feet. Because how do you kick against pricks without, without, in fact, hurting yourself and bleeding and possibly even dying in the process? By persecuting the followers of the way, Saul was only hurting himself because he was kicking against God himself. And how do you kick against God and escape with your life? That is impossible. That is what Saul was doing. So something in the voice that Saul heard let him know that this was no ordinary person's voice. First, nobody had ever addressed him that way, Saul, Saul. 
This is not the first time in Scripture that God called somebody's name twice. You remember? Abraham, Abraham, Simon, Simon, and now Saul, Saul. I'm told that there were two principles that are at work when God calls your name twice. The first principle is that God is trying to get your attention. In other words, he's saying, listen carefully and pay attention because there's something I'm about to tell you that I really want you to hear. And what I'm about to tell you might just save you from ruin or from death. So he wants to get your attention, first of all. The second principle has to do with transition. In other other words, God is trying to take you from one place to another. I'm about to transition you from the place where you are to a place that is different from where you've been. And so, Abraham, Abraham, you may have been childless, but you are about to become the father of many nations. Simon, Simon, you've been a rock all of your life, but you are about to get sifted as wheat. Pay attention. Saul, Saul, you've been a zealous Pharisee. You've been a persecutor of Christians, but you're about to become the world's greatest preacher. I'm about to transition you. I wonder who here this morning is about to hear God call their name twice. Because he either wants to get your attention or he wants to transition you from ruining your life by kicking against the pricks. Or he's about to transition you from where you are to an amazing place that you've never been before. That's not the voice of God, by the way. Somebody else's voice. (laughs) Something about this voice also tells Saul or causes Saul to say, who are you, Lord? Now, if Saul knows that the voice that he's hearing is the voice of the Lord, then why bother ask, who are you? If he knows that it's God's voice, why why bother ask it? I believe there's a simple answer. It is because Saul knows who the Lord is, but he doesn't doesn't yet know him as his Lord. See, there are too many people sitting in church who know who God is, but who don't yet know God. It is one thing to know about God. It is another thing to know, really know God. So I ask you this morning, which one of these two really applies to you? Do you know God, or do you know only about God? Now this is the voice, this is how the voice answers Saul's question, who are you, Lord? Saul, Saul, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You are kicking against the pricks, and you cannot continue kicking against the pricks and not end up being badly hurt or maybe even bleeding to death. So you need to stop, Saul. You need to stop your kicking. Not only do you need to stop, but you need to rise. You need to get up from where you are. And I wonder again this morning, how many of us need to not only hear the Lord speak, but he's saying to us specifically, get up from where you are. Change your position. Head in another direction. I wonder 
who this morning, God might be calling the name twice. Stop what you're doing. It's time to do something else. Get up from where you are. Start going in another direction. And as you are going in that direction, I will tell you what it is that I want you to do next. Which brings us to the third side of the triangle involving a man named Ananias. There's a street called Straight. Now, as we look at Ananias and who he was, I ask myself the question, who doesn't need an Ananias in their life? I believe that everybody needs someone that God sends for the expressed purpose of speaking into your life, of telling you what the next step is that you should take, of pointing out what God would have you do with your life, of helping you to see things more clearly. Maybe they are blurry in your mind, but this person helps you to unpack things and to um, connect the dots and to see more clearly. All of us need an Ananias. I'm told that the name Ananias was a common Jewish name, which means Jehovah is gracious. And don't we need a gracious person representing God to speak graciously into our lives from God? Now, there was nothing really extraordinary about Ananias. He wasn't a, a, a leader by any means. He had no leadership role. He was not immune to fear. We all face fear. In fact, he was afraid for his life. But what I notice about Ananias, which is so commendable, is that his obedience to God was stronger than his fear. His obedience to God was stronger than his fear. So often God calls us to do things that make us afraid. When our obedience to God is stronger than our fear, there's amazing, there are amazing things that God can do through us. You and I need to be like that as well. To not, allow, to not allow our fear to prevent us from stepping out in faith and obeying God, but obeying him nonetheless, letting our obedience to him be stronger than our fear. We need to all learn how to do that. So God appears to Ananias in a vision and calls him by name, and Ananias' answer is this, here I am, Lord. Now notice how different his response is to Saul's. Saul's answer is, who are you, Lord? In other words, you are the Lord, but I don't know you as Lord. Ananias' answer is this, here I am, Lord. In other words, not only are you Lord, but you are my Lord, and I am available to you. Just say the word, and I will do it. Does that characterize your relationship with your Lord? That whatever he says to you, you say to him, here I am, I'm available to do exactly what you want me to do. Just say what you want me to do and I will do it. I might be afraid initially, but I am going to allow my obedience to, be, my obedience to you to be stronger than my fear of any circumstance. Now much of what we learn about what is going on in Saul's mind and in his life at this time, we're going to learn this through what Ananias says. First of all, we learn about Saul's posture while all of this is happening. Saul, the persecutor of the church, the one who had evoked so much fear um, and, and um, discomfort in them, what is he doing? He's on his knees before the Lord and he's praying. 
Now, we don't know what he's praying about. But God has begun to do something remarkable in his life as he's praying, his heart is being changed. That anger that had dominated his life and that misplaced zeal that had dominated his life, these are being taken care of as Saul is on his knees praying before the Lord. Now we also know that Saul, who is still blind, he has had a vision from God even as Ananias himself is having a similar, well not a similar vision, but a vision as well. And so in this vision, Saul sees Ananias coming to him, laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now we also know that God has a purpose for Saul. He has been chosen by God to be his instrument to carry his name and his gospel to both Jews and Gentiles and that he will suffer much for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a chosen vessel. God has a purpose for him. And so God now wants Ananias to go to this street called Straight to the very house where Saul is staying and where he's praying. And Ananias does not realize that if God is sending him somewhere, then he need not be afraid because God is with him. How many of you realize that when God sends you, he protects you? God sends you anywhere, no matter how afraid you are of the people around you, what they will say to you or do to you. If God sends you, he protects you. And so Ananias begins to say, Lord, I've heard about many, from many about all that he's doing and has done and what he's here to do. What I want to say to us this morning is never listen to all the reasons why you shouldn't when God has already told you why you should. Can I say that again? Never listen to all of the reasons why you shouldn't when God has already confirmed in your spirit what you should. And so Ananias is now obedient even as he expresses fear and doubt initially. Because we all have that from time to time, don't we? So the scripture tells us that Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. I want to say to us this morning that if Ananias hadn't obeyed God, God would have raised somebody else up who would have obeyed him. But notice that because of Ananias' obedience, his name is forever linked with Saul. It was he who prayed for Saul. It was through him that Saul regained his sight. It was he who helped Saul connect all of the dots of what he was experiencing. It was he who baptized Saul and ministered to his physical need for food. Sometimes God calls some of us to a public ministry. Sometimes God calls some of us not necessarily to an outward ministry, but to minister to those who are in a public ministry. But it doesn't mean that anybody's ministry is any less significant than the other. Whatever God calls you to do, 
That is significant. So do it. Here's the bottom line to a message this morning. Being part of God's triangle involves having one arm reaching up to God and the other arm reaching out to others, to someone else. It's a great triangle to be in, by the way. If you're in the counseling profession, I'm told that the only triangle that you're allowed to be in is a triangle that involves God. No relationship is... No relationship that has a triangle in it can really thrive. Am I right, um, counselor over here? See, I'm not, I'm not telling you any lies. I'm, I'm, I'm backed up over here. Um, relationships are only for two people. Every other relationship, I mean, every other person is let in only by your permission. But when you're in a triangle with God, that works. That's the bottom line of our message this morning. Here's some things that I want you to really consider uh, doing as a result of hearing this message this morning. Answer whenever Jesus calls your name. Now Saul heard God call his name twice. God called his name twice to get his attention, to protect him from really damaging his life. To transition him away from kicking against the pricks to giving him purpose and becoming an instrument for him. Now Saul answered even if his answer showed that while he knew who God was, he did not yet really know God. God might be calling your name twice today. Calling your name in order to get your attention. Maybe you are about to commit the biggest blunder of your life. Maybe you're going to You're about to do something that would not only hurt you, but those closest to you. Pay attention. When God calls your name twice, pay attention. How do you not answer when God calls you? Especially if he calls your name twice. And the way you answer is by submitting to him first as Savior, and then allowing him to become your Lord. Is there anybody here this morning who hears in the quiet of their heart the Savior calling your name twice? Is there anybody listening and following online for whom that is true? We'll take a moment and allow you to respond to this voice and even pray that God would indeed help you as you respond. Let us pray. Lord, the very fact that you call us suggests that you're interested in us. You want to extend mercy and grace to us. You have plans for us. Your plans for us are to do us good and not evil, to give us hope and a future. God, I pray this morning that somebody who in the quiet of their hearts hears your voice, would respond and say, Lord, here I am. We pray, God, that even as Saul was radically transformed, they too would experience transformation in their hearts and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did that this morning, would you please indicate that to me as you're going through the line? And if there's anyone online who would have done that, would you also indicate online so that we know and can follow up with you? Here's our second point. Allow the discipline of prayer to change you. 
Say that again. Allow the discipline of prayer to change you. Move away from the idea that prayer is something you do to get God to do something for you. To give you something that you need to get you out of a very tight place where you find yourself in. Move away from that idea of prayer. Yes, sometimes prayer is that. But prayer is not only that. Embrace the idea that prayer is something you do to get to really know God and to allow him to know your heart and to form your heart, to know you in the very deepest part, the deepest place of your being. Prayer is what you do to give God space and permission to do those things in your life that he's wanting to do in your life. To take out of your heart those things those affections and desires and ambitions that are not of God, and to replace these with ambitions and desires and affections that are toward God. Allow prayer to transform you. Thirdly, and finally, go wherever Jesus wants to send you. The idea here is that God wants to send you somewhere. He's not just saving you so that you might be at a standstill, but he has some way for you to go. And notice that God sent Ananias to a street called Straight. This was a street that led straight through the city. It had no windings or turnings. It was a very straight street that led through the city. Now notice that God sent him to a specific, house, a specific street, a specific house for a specific individual. Notice also that Ananias, when he was there, he prayed for him. He helped him connect the dots. He prayed for his sight. He baptized him. He ministered to his needs. I believe that this morning, God might be sending you to a specific house, a specific person for a specific reason. Now, if that is the case, then I want to challenge you to go. It might be difficult. You might be afraid of what that might mean. But go. Allow your obedience to God to be stronger than your fear. And then watch and see how God honors you because of obeying him. Am I speaking to anybody this morning that that resonates with? Nobody at all? Just me? I see those hands. Let us... Let us let us rise with obedience. That specific person, it could be a family member, a strained relationship. It could be a neighbor that you haven't, maybe you had words with in the past. God is saying, go mend that fence. Maybe it's somebody that is dying. God wants you to make peace with that person before. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, whatever individual he wants you to reach out to, be obedient. Let us pray. Lord, many of us were like Saul, zealous for the wrong cause, bent on destroying ourselves with our decisions, with the hardness of our hearts. But God miraculously you intervened, and you transformed our lives. 
You have sent Ananias into our lives over the years who have discipled us, encouraged us, prayed for us so that our faith today is strong. God, we pray that you would help us to be an Ananias to somebody else. Somebody who is right now maybe wanting to, to have faith, maybe struggling in their faith, maybe not knowing what to do, what to make of life, what to make of COVID, and all of the um, changes and stresses that have been brought as a result. I pray that you'd help us to become your hands, your feet, your voice. to Be your Ananias who can speak into others' lives and to show them how they can make sense and make purpose of where they're at. God, we ask you to give us the courage to do exactly that. Thank you for doing so.